Okay. Welcome, everybody, back to The Seditionists. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Keith Reeves. And um, it's been a little while since we've done a video. I think we both had to come back from the shock of uh, the, the Betsy DeVos uh, voting. And uh, we're probably going to do another video dedicated specifically to that uh, coming up here shortly as well. Uh, but right now, we wanted to bring up an interesting topic that, that came about uh, on Facebook. Um, I put a I put a, a just a simple question out to, to my friends in in, in the uh, social media world, and the question was, what courses in high school or middle school did you take that you could have not taken and still be okay here in, in the quote unquote real world, your real world? Uh, what did you learn that seemed sort of now like it was a waste of time? It was, it was a pointless point of time. Um, now, with that being said, learning is always a good experience. So regardless of what you're learning, we're not going to debate uh, the importance of, of being a worldly learner and those type of things. But in a time when so many things are changing, would there or could there be a need to look at um, possibly doing away with some courses or specifying courses per per child's need? Again, very much back to what Keith and I talk about a lot when it comes to personalized learning. Uh, Keith, let you look, go ahead and take it away. I know you've got some good thoughts on this one. <laughs> I'm going to have to circle back around. Well, I'm glad that you laid it out in the, the initial caveat. Um, being uh, having a comprehensive base of knowledge upon which to draw as a foundation, I think, is important. And while, um, say, an, uh, an early, early pedagogue like Jean-Jacques Rousseau um, is not my favorite human being in the world, he's got some wacky ideas here and there. Some of his foundations are are firm. Um, and having deep roots in uh, classics-based and liberal arts education, I think, is important for everyone. I think that one could rightly trace a lot of the inabilities of people to engage in meaningful discourse. They can't research well. They have no relationship to history. They have no relationship to art. Well, without a liberal arts education, I don't see how anybody could have that. So I think that that's something that we must critically provide as a foundation. So I'm glad to hear that as the caveat. That having been said, I can think of personal examples, certainly from my childhood uh, public school experiences, in which the things I was asked to learn were just absolutely irrelevant. Now, some of them I found fascinating and engaged with quite a lot and just never used again. Um, arguably, my favorite teacher in high school was Dr. William Kushner. Um, his uh, college-level biology 101 and 102 courses were absolutely riveting to me. I got a ton out of it and even considered switching my major at one point to major in, in biology because I was really, really enjoying um, those experiences. I don't use that stuff as a general rule. Now, granted, you you know, those of you who watch, you know that Rob and I talk about um, clinical research quite a lot. We talk about neurobiology quite a lot because we have to be scholars of child development and the child mind to be good at what we do. And so having a foundation of understanding how the brain works, what a nerve is, the parts of a nerve, how a neurotransmitter uptake works, those are relevant. Um, but I haven't dissected a pig heart in I don't know how long, but – you know, I think we could have gotten away without that. And certainly most of the mathematics that I had, um, I just did not simply have not used. In fact, I have found that in order to do the statistical analyses that I have to do to be good at what I do now, I've had to teach myself a lot of math, which I find very frustrating. Which is interesting you say, because on the uh, Facebook list of, of people that were sending me sort of their thoughts on it, I would say probably the biggest ones that I heard were things like calculus, um, some doing some advanced uh, geometry, trigonometry, those type of maths. But then you get the science folks who are saying, oh, no, wait a minute. We really needed that stuff. What we didn't need were maybe was maybe reading the book 
you know, whatever, at Grapes of Wrath. Anna whatever, Karenina. That would be. <laughs> so, so my question would be, um, how do we satisfy right. those two opposite ends of, of, of the spectrum in, in, say, high school? Well, I got some of my thoughts. I'm interested. Why don't you go first? Tell us what, what would you do if you if you didn't have to answer to any of these people um, and you had the opportunity to take the feedback that you've gotten. How do we meaningfully address that exact fact that you've got some people for for whom some courses are irrelevant and others vice versa? Okay. Well, thank you for asking. I think I, I'll, I'll jump into this. <laughs> <laughs> Here's my thoughts. <laughs> first of all, again, blank slate, no laws, no rules. I can make it up how I want. K to five, you need to have your skill base. So, so we're, we're K to five. We're teaching skills. We're getting the kids prepared for being able to use these skills then to get into uh, knowledge building and those type of things. So, K to five, skill based. Middle school, six, seven, and eight, which unfortunately has already really turned to a national junior high again. Don't get me involved in that. I'm so vehemently against the idea of that, the middle school. Again, probably another video. But six, seven, eight really needs to be exploratory time where you start to find your interests, looking at a lot of career development ideas, what's out there. Uh, somebody had a great mention on Facebook saying, you know, I didn't even know what careers were out there when I was in middle school and high school, that I didn't know these things existed until I came out of school, which is interesting in and of itself. But if you could get six, seven, and eight to really start focusing in on what are you good at, what are you, what are you really interested in, and then nine through twelve, you could almost specialize. I hate to use the word track because that has some negative connotations, but Indeed specialize where there's a course set of courses where everybody's going to take. And if you're really into the science engineering side, you would take these. If you're really into the humanities side, you would take these. If you're really into maybe the artistic, musical, whatever side, you would go more towards these. So. I don't want to say tracky, but almost like a college where you get to pick the courses that are available, but then there are your core base sets that everybody has to take. And those would have to be obviously decided upon. One that I heard a lot of people say is they think everybody should have taken a more, I don't want to say basic math, but a more user-friendly math like checkbooks, money, uh, stock market, like how do all those type of things that we use every single day in math, there should have been a course dedicated to that as opposed to here are all the computations. Now you figure out how to put them into your real world. That's my thought. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, man. I mean, to to pick to to work backwards, authenticity and relevance have to be two of the fundamental pillars. That's the the two pillars right at the Temple of Solomon as far as radical pedagogy is concerned. I think that if we're going to honestly revolutionize schools, we have to keep and and always from the student perspective, um, which is going to lead me to tracking. We have to have uh, we have to provide opportunities for authenticity and for relevance. Nobody learns anything that isn't relevant to them. They don't. They may be able to have a, an immediate action that replicates performance that indicates mastery. But they're going to forget. We've all done that. We all took tests in junior high school that we have no idea. That we don't know any of that content now. We just did the task at the time. But it didn't take, if you will, because it wasn't relevant. Right? Let, me, let me put a perfect example of that. There, there, was, there was a game show called Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And I remember that. And fifth graders knew it all because it was relevant to them at the time. But you had adults that couldn't answer it. Shouldn't that go. be like a very glaring example of what we're talking about? Ahead, well, and I would go so far as to say one could extrapolate that further and say that most of the fifth graders who won that show probably won't remember many of those relatively irrelevant facts later because they can go look it up on the Internet and there's no reason for them to maintain that in their head. But it's a very good example. I agree that we, we must be careful when it comes to tracking. Tracking, for those of you who are unfamiliar, I'm, I'm just assuming there are a couple of people out there. It's the idea that there are different lanes into which you get steered. That's 
the phrasing that's important. The school affords several different options and then they decide which track that you're in. Um, many of us experience this as like honors versus regular or there was like gifted. This is the whole argument that I've had with Rick Wormley on a few occasions, which I think that we're now over. Um, the idea that differentiation stems from the idea that we provide these different lanes, right? For me, differentiation and tracking have um, a natural philosophical marriage, and I'm kind of over them, right? We have to individualize. Um, and by individualizing, I think we get rid of tracking altogether, right? We don't create predefined lanes because that's an adult imposition of structure. Instead, we should eschew adult imposition of structure and provide an opportunity for the children to build their own structure. And for me, the, you got to go back to Ed Psych 101. We got to go back to Vygotsky and we got to talk about scaffolding. If you take the example that you gave, K through five is really kind of fundamental. The bumpers on the bowling lane are in pretty good. We're keeping kids safe. We're helping them avoid teetering off into some really in incorrect ideas. We're not going to let them imagine that the earth is flat and build a model of that. We're going to constantly em uh, empower them. We don't coerce them, we empower them with the ability to make good choices and things like that using techniques like responsive classroom. And gradually that scaffolding peels away. One of the problems that we have in school nowadays is that we still think of it as a trajectory, like pre-K 16, they're going to college. And as we peel the scaffolding away, the trajectory remains the same. What we should do instead is as we peel the scaffolding away, the kids take completely different paths. And kind of early down, some of them are quite widely separated in their interests, which is why one of the things that I propose in my work is the elimination of the course altogether as a concept, the uh, elimination of the grade level altogether as a concept. And I think, you know, when people say, well, how on earth are you going to do that? To me, you gamify education. We make it so that there's kind of a menu of choices. There's uh, things that kids can choose that is based on their interest. If someone had taught me algebra through the lens of trying to make my weapon stronger in EverQuest 2, I would have gotten perfect scores on everything. But nobody gave me the opportunity to do that. So I want to take your idea and kind of go like put it on steroids and go even further to the point where we can provide every individual all of those decisions all the way through their education. And, and, and absolutely, and I think a lot of that, like, take myself, for example, when I was in eighth grade, I knew music was my thing, and I was going, I was going to be a band director from eighth grade, no questions yep, me asked. me too. So, I, so, even if I was taking the maths and things like that, that you, that you do need in some of the music courses, it could have been tailored more in that direction. Now, I ended up as a, as a building principal, so which has really not much to do with, with, with being a band director, but I would have still had those core subjects that would have kept me where I need to be. And again, to bring up digital skills again, you know, all of those skills that you that were that were layering on top of our standards are going to be important for whatever job you take. And since you did yours, I'm going to do mine. Mine just came out. I said, yes! future ready challenge. So uh, feel free to go to robferman.com and check it out. And I talk about those digital skills. But, uh, um, I got to pick up my copy. These are not supposed to be commercials. It just happens that way. We're going to watch out. Didn't Kellyanne Conway just get in trouble for using <laughs> thing to, to talk hey about? Hey, man, I'm not buying your clothing line. I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyways, you know, I, I think the, the trick is, and again, in a perfect world, 
you know, every individual would be able to, by, by ninth grade, to start going in those directions. Now, are you stuck in those directions? And I think that's where the word tracking scares us, uh, scares us older folk, because once you think you're in this track, you can't get to another track. But with personalized learning, if a kid's going this direction and then all of a sudden goes, I think I'm more interested in this, they have to have that ability to be able to flow back and forth. So maybe we need to come up with a different word than track. Maybe it's yeah. a, 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 a form that you can, you know, like you said, a tree. You can always get to the other branches if you had to. Yeah, you know, I think of if I'm playing a game, and I, I I think that gaming prepares one for so much in twenty in the twenty first century. Um, if I start off in one class, um, you know, as a as a warrior, and I build my skills up, and I find my track, and I do my path, and I do what I want to do. If I want to tear that down and reallocate, now it's quite a lot of effort. It's quite a lot of time. But I can do that and change tracks entirely. This to me analogizes that I am not an economist, but I come from a Rust Belt city and I watched the I'm a, a, an assembly plant manufacturing, you know, carrier and new process gear and you know, Oberdorfer, they, they went away. The promise, the idea was that, well, we'll, we'll re-attribute, we'll reallocate your skills through retraining, and then we'll get you another job in the demanded area. Well, that never happened, right? The institutionalized structures of industrial era thinking do not allow for the transition that you're illustrating. And I think that's always been a, a serious complaint for both of us. I think any revolutionary educator has a huge complaint about the inflexibility of that industrial era thinking. If we could retool schools as we want, we would have none of that remnant of child coercion and limitation. And to the contrary, we would be able to say, look, kid, like you, we were going down this path and you want to do these things. We hit a roadblock or you had a life change or something lit up for you and you want these other things. Too often, I think that we bind kids to, well, there's no choice because you're nine or because you're 11, too late, you know. You've done this and we don't have the time to do that because you have to get these other things and pass these other SOLs. That sort of limited conceptualizing of what it takes to get to a certain place, that pre-definition of where kids have to be at certain ages really frustrates me. If we had more flexibility to accelerate students where they're able to be accelerated and to spend the time even remediating students who need that remediation with the granularity within each content area, I think we'd be closer to the kind of gamification that I talk about. It would take a pretty significant retooling of, in particular, our assessment constructs. Uh, but as y'all who are watching know, Rob and I do not have a problem with retooling our assessment constructs. <laughs> no, we, we do what we have to do. Um, so so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a, a, a uh, typical concern in your direction, okay? Okay. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Um, so high school, uh, we're talking about uh, creating branches that, that, inter, that intertwine so that kids can get what they need, when they need it, how they need it, based on their interests, career interests, personal interests, so forth and so on. Yeah. How do we take current personnel, which is, let's face it, we probably only have, especially in my district, maybe nine or ten a shot here, um, maybe nine or ten a shot here, kids, uh, teachers, and make it so that we have all of those different options for all yeah. of those different kids. This is bringing back sort of the reality of, um, you know, right. 
uh, of what we're dealing with in terms of financial woes and those type of things. But how, is there a model? Do you have an idea of how we can do that? Yeah, I do. Uh, it, it seems to me that uh, once you dismantle the schedule, once you dismantle uh, traditional classroom units and the pre-definitions that that entails, the structure of the school day, that we would start by having all of the personnel in any given school division, not just the school itself, but a school, a school district, or as we call them in Virginia, school division. If I had that kind of flexibility, additionally, if I, uh, so I would have a, a, a more flexibility with the staff that I have already. I could draw upon people who don't necessarily work in my school or work on one campus because we're not going to bind people to that. You must be in one place at one time idea. We're going to massively expand the ability for individual work, which means there won't be the same number of kids in the same situation sitting in the same place at the same time. One, that's one of my favorite things to say to teachers who go, how would this ever work for me? I'm like, don't you know, like, couldn't you easily identify 15, 20% of your kids at any given time who don't need to be sitting there doing what they're doing at the moment, whose time would be better spent elsewhere doing something else? And everybody's like, well, yeah, if you provide that flexibility, you're probably talking, these are just anecdotal numbers, but if you start with a reduction in the number of students you have to deal with at any given time by 80%, you allow them to self-organize and you have a flexible staff that isn't time-bound or site-bound, that alone would provide a massive amount of flexibility. Moreover, it's going to take a massive amount of professional development because you would have to have that radical pedagogical ideas, the ability to design independent and individual studies, the ability to really understand child development in a way that we haven't before. But... If we're doing away with all the nonsense assessment crap that people have to jump through, we're not teaching you the test, we're doing authentic problems, we're going to utilize meaningful rubrics in an authentic and relevant context, then we start to get the flexibility I think we need to implement the model. It looks really different than it used to. And I must say that I also want to keep the schools open seven days a week, you know, 16, 18 hours a day. I'm not saying that's seat time for kids. But I know that I would have done much better from, you know, maybe 10 to 2, take a break, come back from 4 to 8, something like that. If we go into flexibility in that way, granted, it looks different at elementary than at high, but if I'm doing away with the elementary and high model altogether, that's okay. Um, the more of those structures that we pull out, then the more flexibility we have to accomplish our goal. So let me throw one more thing at you here, because what it sounds like to me, and, and we know biologically speaking, uh, kids are maturing earlier. Uh, things are happening medically earlier. So, uh, you know, 20 years ago, a sixth grader does not look like a sixth grader today. Physically, uh, intellectually, the whole nine yards. The kids are biologically changing. So with that in mind, what it, and what it sounds like you're, you're describing is really the high school should take on somewhat of a collegiate model. If you think about when you go to college, you pick your courses based on what you need, and you're moving through. And here's here's even one more. Some colleges don't require you to be done in four years. You know, maybe a high school doesn't go in the four-year plan anymore. Maybe you go until you've gotten, you've exhausted what you need out of there and get beyond, again, the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior type of mentality where you have to be out in four years or, you know, it has a negative connotation to it and all those type of things. And we create this high school based on very loosely what 
the collegiate model is. What do you think? I think it addresses the phenomenon of twixterism, which for those of you who aren't familiar with the term, is we've got these people who are caught between ending high school and beginning their lives when you're in your late teens and early 20s who are kind of lost. Our system abandons them. We shove them out the door at 18, we call them adult, and we cross our fingers and hope they're okay. I find that to be an abjectly cruel way to approach people. I know that many of my 18-year-old students would have said, don't call me a kid, but if you're 18 years old, you're a child. If you're in our care, your child. I know 22-year-old children, <laughs> right? They're not ready yet. We are throwing so much, and people are like, well, I was okay two generations ago. Well, yeah, when you were in seventh grade, you could just stop going to school and go farm, and that was it. The world has changed. We're asking people to learn algebra in seventh grade in some places. The amount of work and the amount of knowledge, we should be impressed by the coming generation. I'm sick and tired of people indicting millennials. I wrote a blog post on that recently. You should all go read. But I think it would help with twixterism because 18 doesn't automatically equal adult. Moreover, I have often um, hypothesized about the major schools, particularly you know what, the, what we currently call the high school, serving as a civics center with a repository of people, a, li a civic librarian who can provide knowledge and facts to anyone who wants it, of any age. Not alternative facts, actual facts, to be able to make informed decisions. I would far rather have, if we're going to have a democracy, which, of course, Princeton says we don't have, we have a corporatocratic oligarchy since 2014, according to their analysis. But I didn't, I didn't ask for a representative to stand up and speak for me. I want to teach children to speak for themselves. Give them as they grow an opportunity to get honest, true, objective facts, maybe from a civics librarian. who They could walk in and say, hey, tell me about what's going on in my community when it comes to clean drinking water. Here are the facts. Make informed decisions. We could be generating some of that information through authentic research. We, we create an integrated center where people can get their needs met. And when they're ready for whatever comes next, in whatever permutation that looks like, people on the right are going to say, and yes, and then we can create young entrepreneurs. And people like me are going to go, then we'll have engaged liberal artists who can start creating. Either way, it empowers the individual to make choices for themselves. And at the moment, our structures are all hell-bent on forcing them to choose things that we give them. I would much rather they build their lives than we build it for them. And I think that there is a certain collegiate idea to this sort of constantly living, breathing, integrated campus that should be open to everyone of any age. And if it looks more like a community college, so much the better. Excellent. Hey, that was a really good talk. I enjoyed that one. I'm going to put a, a couple more uh, commercials out there. Um, in this summer, uh, Mr. Reeves, Keith, and I will be at San Antonio yes, at indeed. the ISTE conference. I believe it's the end of June. And uh, we're going to be is. doing a couple presentations, but the, the, the main one is going to be on the seditionist videos, uh, Relevance in a Revolutionized Education, um, where we're going to be talking about a lot of these things. Uh, we do want to create it as a panel discussion. So please, if you're going to the ISTE conference, uh, reach out to us or make sure you sign up for, for our session and give us your two cents. Give us your opinion. It's guarantee you when we're together live, it's going to be an interesting <laughs> talk. Um, Always a good time. Sometimes things get thrown. Some, no, I'm just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> but we'll definitely have a good time. So make sure you come out. Also, subscribe to our video down below. Uh, also, in the description, Keith and I have all of our social media contacts. And please reach out and talk to us. We, we, we value what you have to say, and, and we want to hear what you have to say so we can communicate and continue to learn ourselves.
So this is Rob Furman and Keith Reeves signing off. Thank you so much. Uh, this is Live from the Seditionist. Keith, we'll see you. Take it easy.